The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Zendo. For more information, visit villagezendo.org. Well, here we are, the uh, first, second day, I guess, of fall, right? First, second day of fall. And I'm in New York City. I saw someone is from Costa Rica. I can't see who, who's on the uh, on the. On the, uh, here for the top, but I know that some of us are from New York, are in New York City, and we're experiencing uh, a lot of rain and wind. And uh, I hope uh, you're not experiencing rain and wind as we're ex- experiencing it here. But uh, thank you for uh, being present with us this morning here at the Zendo proper, and uh, and online. And uh, my name is Mukay. I am uh, one of the senior students here at the Village Zendo, and um, also one of the co-chairs of our People of Color sitting group. And with the noticeably cooler temperatures and the uh, days getting shorter, the past week has been, media has been quite hyped up uh, about a number of things. about the tension between the city and the state regarding the uh, asylum seekers or migrants. Um, I was quite disturbed. I think it was last week there was a bus uh, carrying asylum seekers, women and children, and they were surrounded by a fam, a crowd of people ch- chanting, take them back and waving the American flag. And I have to say, as a, a black man, all I could think of was that's a very familiar feeling in my body that someone can surround my house if I were living south and say, come on out. And you never came out because they burned your house down, shot you and burned your house down. Also about the food insecurity in, in, the, in the nation, 34 million people, not purchase food for themselves. Uh, It's the community of hatred that has just, and I don't want to say has emerged, but it's always been there. We've never really paid attention to it. And then, of course, the violence with guns. Folks folks are shooting themselves because they they feel no self-respect, so maybe if I kill you, I feel there's a certain sense of hype. And then, of course, the drug addiction, heroin, fentanyl, heroin laced with fentanyl, being produced in places where children gather. There's not a safe space for a child to just be themselves because someone is making a profit. And then, of course, our criminal justice system people who are then incarcerated. I was at a rally earlier uh, at the end of last month, August, uh, for closing down Rikers, which is a jail here in the city. And the number of people who attended spoke about their loved ones. All of them good and decent people. But we've been built up to think that they're horrible, and even think of them as animals. And they've been treated as animals. So, 
Case five, Kyojin's man up a tree from the bar gateless barrier. Master Kyojin said, it is like a man up a tree who hangs from a branch by his mouth. His hands cannot grasp a bough, his feet cannot touch the tree. Another man comes under the tree and asks him the meaning of Bodhidharma's coming from the West. If he does not answer, he does not meet the questioner's need. If he answers, he will lose his life. At such a time, how should he answer? Yojin, uh, looking him up a little bit, was um, before he became a master, was a Zen student, and he was quite bright. He could memorize things and put things to, uh, together. And one day, one of his teachers said to him, I don't care what you're studying. I don't care what's in your scriptures. I want you to tell me what's your original face like. Kyojin couldn't get an answer. No matter how much he tried, his teacher ignored him. So finally he despaired and said, I had enough of this. He burned up all his teachings and became a grave digger. And he worked many, many years as a grave digger trying to make sense until one day as he was cleaning the grave of the national teacher, he was throwing the garbage away. He heard a pebble hit a bamboo shoot and immediately, so the story goes, he became enlightened. At such a time, how should he answer? Or at such a time, how do you or we answer? Where does this koan lead and land on you? Well, consider death, and not as a end-of-the-life cycle kind of sense, but perceptions and thoughts about what we know and about what we cling to. We may tell ourselves, I don't have thoughts or perception. The truth is, is we do have thoughts and perceptions. I don't know. Yes, you do know. Of course, no one here has that problem, right? <laughs> there are thoughts and perceptions that we cling to. And understandably, how could we not survive if we didn't have thoughts and perceptions about the world around us? But are we really living? Are we really living? My guess is that we live in fear. In fear, we create narratives and stories about what's going on in front of us. These narratives keep us safe. We can even create a narrative about our practice. I've heard some practitioners talk about zenning out. I've come to zen out. And usually there's a perception that, you know, we're like Manjushri up there, you know. Uh, you know, you can throw whatever it is at that and you cannot be touched. But when, you know, things are said, things are done, and we are touched. So how could we zen out? And how does that help the people around us when we zen out?
we can cling to the teachings to give us the, what I was reading in the commentary, something I liked very much was to revive the dead and kill the living. That's what I'd like to think that we practice for, is to revive the dead and kill the living. Because we live, I think, in a way that this is going to protect us from life. When really, we're encouraged, no matter whatever going on around us, to get involved. And with discernment, by the way. I'm not saying that you should just jump into something because your practice is. You need to do it. But I think you need to be, we all need to be aware of, how am I approaching this? How am I living into this moment? And if I'm doing it without discernment, then I'm dead. Because then it's really about me, right? It's not about everybody around me. And that's what I also think Sangha is very important about. It keeps us honest. It keeps us honest about what it is if we lean into this practice. We do. Our response has to be genuine. And that's, I believe, when our response is genuine, that's how we answer at any time. That's how we revive the dead and destroy the living. Right now, the world needs people, needs people to look at someone and realize their worth. We have too much around us to say, you're not worth anything. I, I thought humorously, I was gonna try, uh, I live in Inwood and um, there's two parks in my neighborhood. And I thought about what would it be like if I went up to one of the trees and put my mouth around the bough, on the bough. I can't do that. I mean, they're big. And if I put my mouth on a smaller one, it'd break, right? I'd fall and break my neck or something like that. <laughs> but, uh, but this, this clinging and not groundedness is what gets us trapped and stuck. Someone will say to us, so tell me a little bit about what it is, how it is you practice. I don't think we can verbalize it. I think they see it. I think they see it. And that's what I would like to leave us with this morning, that no matter where we are, people are looking. So what is this about Bodhidharma coming from the West? They're looking at you. And how you respond answers the question. <laughs>